Stork Talks. Welcome to Stork Talks with Zoe and Tom. The Storks have been a part of life in The Hague for centuries. Have you spotted one yet? Each week, Stork Talks delves into a range of stories, news and anecdotes. And for the next hour, we'll take you under our wings as we discover the city of peace and justice. This is truly a special place to live and we invite you to tune in and discover it with us each Thursday between 8 and 9pm on 92.0 Den Haag FM. I should mention, of course, that at the moment we are making a podcast because we are unable to be in the studios due to the corona regulations. Last week we brought you the news on the canal project that will result in the reopening in some of the Hague's long-lost grachten. This week our focus is a little further afield, and yet I understand that it affects thousands of people living here in the Netherlands. I'm referring, of course, to Brexit. Zoe... I know you've been following this saga for a goodly while now. Um, Who's our stock of the week when it comes to Brexit? Yes, Tom. So this week I spoke with a woman who's been involved in Brexit um, campaigning for the British and the Netherlands group since it all began back in 2016. This group of people are dedicated to helping all of those British citizens living in the Netherlands who are affected by Brexit Um, They have worked closely with the Dutch Immigration Services, the IND, and have even put in an appearance at the Tweede Kamer on one or two occasions as part of their campaign to ensure rights for British citizens here in the Netherlands post-Brexit. Am I correct in assuming that, that some of the consequences from Brexit are still a bit up in the air and still unclear? Yes, I mean, I think, Tom, if you're not affected directly, perhaps one doesn't realize Uh, that it isn't just a sort of high-level political um, discussion that happens in Brussels and Westminster. It's going to affect a lot of just everyday people. Uh, It's going to affect a lot of their lives, and many of these people are, in fact, living in the Netherlands. Today on Stork Talks, our Stork of the Week is a Scottish woman, Trisha Tarrant. Now, Trisha has been a happy resident of The Hague for almost 15 years. I've spoken with Trisha before because she is also a member and a campaigner for the British in the Netherlands group. And so she has been very closely connected to the issue of Brexit and specifically how Brexit affects those British citizens living here in the Netherlands. And for those of you who didn't know, it's estimated that there are around 90,000 British people living in the Netherlands, 45,000 of which will be affected by Brexit and will need to look into their residence status as a result of Brexit. So let me first say welcome, uh, Tricia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Zoe. Very pleased to be here. Now, Tricia, we've been chatting already for a little while on this rather complicated issue. Uh, As you've already explained to me, it affects different people in different ways. But perhaps the most important message we should share first is the fact that here in the Netherlands, it's estimated that there are still about 6,000 people, British people, who will need to apply for residence here in the Netherlands before the end of the year in order to avoid any troubles with their living status here in the Netherlands. Can you just tell us a bit more about that and what you need to do if you haven't yet done it? Yes, thanks, Zoe. And um, I'm very pleased to have this platform, actually, to be able to appeal directly to people who may not have applied yet. 
So um, as a result of the UK leaving the EU at the end of January this year, there's a transition period till the 31st of December and a withdrawal agreement. And in that, people have to apply in order to be granted a residence permit to remain living in the Netherlands. So what this is about is people have to actively put in an application in order to live legally in the Netherlands. That application is very straightforward to do. It's online at enday.nl, the Brexit pages. There are different processes depending on whether you've lived here for more than five years or less than five years, and you have to upload some documentation. But I would say to everybody, if you haven't done it yet, you might feel it's a bit like doing your tax return or it's something you'll get round to. But please do it because from the 1st of January, we will need documentary proof of our legality of living in the Netherlands. And these residence permits give that, uh, give that legality. So really important. A Christmas present to yourself. Go and do that before, before 31st of December. Now, you've also mentioned to me, Tricia, that already the IND, the, the Dutch Immigration Service, have already issued something like 25,000 residence permits already. So it is, you know, it's very much, it's quite a well-oiled machine. It seems to be functioning well. So it's simply a matter of, of getting, getting your papers together and sort of getting on with it. I think it is. I mean, it's been a, a, a really good, I mean, an amazing logistical process to date. There have been one or two hiccups, I have to say, but then when you're issuing 25,000 residence permits, then you would get that. I think also the EN Day Brexit helpline is very useful to people. So if you're not sure about what documents you need to upload, then I would always say more rather than less. And if you're worried about it, ring the helpline and they will give you advice on what you should submit. Absolutely. And I assume also they can find information on your uh, on the British and the Netherlands group on the Facebook page or, or similar. Definitely. Yes, we're in fact, as you can imagine, we've doubled our membership in a year and we have some very lively debates. It's amazing. There isn't a single question that people pose that doesn't have an answer. Well, that sounds reassuring. So to sort of zoom out a little because we've, yeah, we've been focusing specifically on those people living here in the Netherlands. And you also mentioned to me very interestingly that um, since the, the Brexit referendum in 2016, uh, numbers again suggest that at least 10,000 more uh, Brits have chosen to live in the Netherlands. Uh, you also mentioned, however, that of course, this is affecting not only the British people living in the Netherlands, but of course, many European citizens who are living in the UK or perhaps have family there. And we were just talking also a little bit about the, the quite difficult situation that is uh, being debated at the moment in the British Parliament regarding the citizens' right, rights agreement. Now, for those of 
us who are not so sure about all of this, there is, as you've probably all heard, the withdrawal agreement, which is something, of course, that is uh, between the UK and the EU. But within the withdrawal agreement, there is a section of it that pertains to citizens' rights, which, of course, are of great concern to all people affected by this. Now, you explained to me, Tricia, that the Dutch government has enacted the relevant parts of that citizens' rights agreement into Dutch law, which is reassuring. But can you just tell us a little bit about how is that working out on the UK side? What believe you, as you explained to me, there's some debate in the UK Parliament still about aspects of that citizens' rights agreement. That's right. I mean, the citizens' rights elements of the withdrawal agreement apply to everybody within the EU, the EEA and the UK. And the issue that's causing particular difficulty in the, in the UK at the moment is the fact that Unlike most other EU countries, the UK is not providing physical proof of settled status. They're relying on digital proof only. Imagine if you only had a digital passport or driving license, how difficult that would be. I mean, I think most countries, from my knowledge, simply haven't reached that stage. I'm only really aware of Estonia that's gone entirely digital. So it does seem a little strange that if you're not digital for everything else, why would you choose to make this particular issue digital? Yeah, we have a, um, a sister campaign group, the 3 million. None of us, I think, have heard a convincing argument for why it should be digital only. And you also mentioned another rather unusual clause in this citizens' rights agreement that perhaps won't affect people immediately and is perhaps not so well known, but will definitely be problematic in the future. It's actually in the immigration bill, which is being debated between the House of Lords and the House of Commons at the moment. So both what we were just talking about and this piece Mm. are in the Immigration Bill. This relates to the ability of UK citizens to be able to come back to the UK with their EU family members. The proposal is that unless the EU family member earns more than a certain amount, the British citizen would not be able to bring them back to the UK after, I think it's 2022, which I'm sure, given that that is a discriminatory measure against UK citizens, I'm sure would come as quite a surprise to a lot of people. Well, also, Tricia, because you explained to me that this could also affect even partners or, or you know, close family members. Yes, it does. Basically, if you've exercised your freedom of movement rights and you're happily settled with your family in another EU country and you were hoping to come back to the UK at some point, this will create enormous difficulties in your plans. Okay, so that's something else perhaps to watch out for. And as you say, it's not something perhaps widely known, but it will affect potentially a lot of people and their lives. All right. So um, you mentioned that if there are UK citizens who were thinking to come to the Netherlands to to live or to work, again, this 31st of December deadline needs to be borne in mind because of the time that it takes to to process. Can you tell us more about that just for those those people who might be thinking of coming over? Yes. So if you're thinking of coming over or if you're listening to this and you've got friends in the UK who are thinking of coming over, you need to think about the lead times and you need to think about now contacting 
the Pementa, the town council, where you're going to be living and making an appointment now to get your BSN number because there's quite a lot of time delay for that and you need your BSN number in order to be able to apply for your residence permit. So uh, don't delay, do it today. Okay, I think that has a nice catchy ring to it. So Trisha, just before we finish off, maybe I can just ask you that million dollar question that everybody is, of course, thinking about now. What are your thoughts on the bigger picture, Brexit? I mean, are you still hopeful that there will be some sort of deal or do you think we're heading for a hard Brexit? Just somebody who's been involved in this process now for a number of years. I mean, what is your sort of gut feeling on this? I think there might be something which is presented as a deal. Whether <laughs> what that re- what that actually reflects in practice, and how far, of course, the negotiations will need to go on and on as a result of that, I don't know. So I think we'll hear something which is presented as a as a great victory mm. um, by the by the UK government. I, I, I don't think there will be no deal. So a bit sceptical. And also, I think the consequences of it will not be known for a while to come. Yes, I agree. I also sense that although it already feels that we've been involved with the Brexit saga for too long, I sense that the saga is not close to finishing anytime soon. No, this is the start of it. And in fact, the end of the transition period is is really just the start of the hard reality, isn't it? And I tell you, most of us here are glad we're sitting in the Netherlands rather than in the UK. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Tricia Tarrant of the British in the Netherlands group, thank you so much for joining us today on Stork Talks. Thank you, Zoe. Delighted. That's it. Then. I mean, that's a fascinating story, Zoe. Uh, I, I was a bit surprised by the fact that there's still so many people waiting or not having to, not, not having done this whole procedure. I was surprised too, Tom, to be honest, because if this is something obviously that affects one's, one's whole life. So, um, yeah, it's, I think though there is also a sense of uh, maybe a lot of people are still unsure of because there has the saga um, has gone on for so long, debates between the British government and the EU have continued for so long that I think people are still thinking and waiting for some sort of clear conclusion before they act. But what's important to understand is that no matter what conclusion takes place, you have to have registered before the end of the year. We are both not not British citizens, but still the fact that you're no longer able to bring relatives or let's say your your spouse into the country if they live below a certain income threshold. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's truly, yeah, that. And then, of course, the digital requirement is also really strange, given that nothing else has been digitized. Uh, there's just... Um, yeah, I was part. I attended a webinar with uh, some discussions in Scotland, in fact, of the plans that they're trying to make for EU citizens living in Scotland. And honestly, when you listen to all the the tiny technical details that will be affecting so many people, and the way that there's just there doesn't seem to be a lot of sense involved in their ideas, and nobody, even the, the you know the experts, the lawyers, the people whose job it is to know these things, even they are confused. So it, it is quite worrying, Tom. Uh, it is definitely worrying. Yeah. So so the key takeaway, I mean, I think she said it in her uh, last sentence, uh, don't delay, do it now. Don't delay, do it today. Do it today. That's what it was. Let's yeah. not forget that rhyme because that, that can help. Don't delay, do it today. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Stork Talks.
Lastly, one of my favorite segments, as always, the hospitality, the Hague or Tom Kitchen, as you like to call it. I do like to call it that, yes. Last week, we furthered our adventure into the depths of fish and seafood. But uh, this week, I decided to bring you a bit of a topical restaurant story. Um, as everyone is well aware that with the closure of all bars and restaurants here in the Netherlands, all restaurants that, that do still want to provide food had to resort to takeaway. But although this change might be easy for takeaway-oriented restaurants, it w- I was eager to find out how all the other restaurants have adapted and how they're dealing with this transition. And uh, that's why I've prepared two short interviews to different restaurants uh, and asked them how did they transition from, from a, a restaurant filled with people to a restaurant completely based on takeaway. What is your restaurant and how has the transition been with the corona times? Well, we're an American-style restaurant, and we sell burgers and uh, spare ribs and steaks, and we're open seven days a week. And uh, every day it's really busy, actually, mostly in the weekends, and now we're closed, so we only open for takeaway, and uh, normally people can order through Thuisbezorgd, uh, and now people can also order through our website, and uh, we do that seven days a week, so... Uh, And, and how was it to make that transition from just being a regular restaurant to all of a sudden this heavy focus on takeaway through your own website? Yeah, it's really weird because normally you always work with people. There are uh, people in your restaurant and now it's not that personal anymore because people stop by, grab a bag of food and they leave. And that's all actually. So so is there well, any benefit? Is there any any light at the end of the tunnel for you that you see with, it, with these developments? Um, no, actually. <laughs> no. So, so what do you hope that the government does or what do you hope will happen with all these restaurants and the transition? Well, I hope that we can go open again and even if it's until eight o'clock, but just go open again. So what would you like to say to the people? Um, I mean, would you advise them to come and pick up takeaway or would you say, okay, wait till we're open and then everybody storm in that we're happy to have you again? No, no, no. People have to help us and yeah, just uh, order as many as you can and help us through these uh, difficult weeks and hoping that we can go open again in about three weeks. So where can they find or where can they help you? They can order to our website, www.restauranthudson.nl. And uh, they can see our menu and they can order to our menu and also to Thuisbezorgd. Anything you recommend? Uh, our famous Hudson burger, of course. <laughs> famous burger. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, well, this is a pizzeria and uh, the transition this time has been much easier than it was last time. Uh, that is because we know what to do this time. We know the capacity on uh, personnel that is needed. Um, yeah, I think, we, I think we had the formula dialed in this time. And then last time, like I said earlier, we had to um, we actually had to build a pizza restaurant, whereas this time we already have it established and, and ready. So the transition was quite quite easy this time. So the, the experience helped. Uh, are there still things that you're doing differently, like than how you did them in the, the, the first lockdown? Yep, absolutely. Uh, we have our own drivers now for delivery, whereas before we were uh, relying on a, a delivery service. Uh, whereas now we have our own website that people can order through. Uh, I control the drivers from here in the restaurant. Um, and that way, if there are yeah, discrepancies or any sort of uh, errors or, or special requests, it's manageable and I can give people um, an accurate answer. Whereas before I had to rely on the information from a third party and that wasn't always a, a pleasant experience. Basically, because there's now more emphasis on delivery, you sort of said, okay, we're going to take yeah. the... Do you also, like, um, I mean, 
do you find it more difficult now that you're competing against everybody because everybody is doing delivery? I think it's still a bit too fresh uh, this time to say exactly. On the weekends, I don't see much of uh, a decline in, in our business. However, on uh, in the weekdays, yeah, maybe a little bit less because people do have much more option. But I think we're still a bit too fresh to, to know exactly the the outcome of that. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you still distinguish yourself? Like the, it's, it's difficult for the listeners, but you have an absolutely gorgeous place here. How do you transition that into a takeaway order? Well, we have very lovely drivers, as you met before. One of Bono is one of our drivers, and he also works on the team here on the floor. Uh, all of us, actually, in the service and in the kitchen, are spending some time doing deliveries ourselves, as well as we hired some other uh, drivers as well. And I think it helps bring um, a sense of the restaurant to people's door that know us, that are reg- regulars. And you know, you show up at the door, and you're not expecting to see the girl behind the bar that's normally pouring you your wine show up with your pizza at the door. So I think that's a nice, uh, a nice personal touch that we've added. Um, yeah, and we have more control. Like I said, we have more control of, of the face that arrives at the door this time with with your delivery. So if people want to help you out and find out more information on where to order and perhaps meet the girl behind the bar uh, during the next delivery order, where can they find that? Uh, www.vincenzos.nl. And do you have a favorite that you recommend? My favorite is, right now, I would say the Crudo e Tartufo. And that's actually a crowd favorite. Wow. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Um, I found that very, very interesting, Tom, because I have, yeah, I think we're all aware of the fact that the hospitality industry has been very harshly affected by corona. Uh, I have to be honest, um, when I heard that they were closing the bars and restaurants again, I did wonder if that was entirely fair on the hospitality industry, um, especially since I don't not that many actual infections um, are have been linked to them. Of course, there are I'm sure there are other complicating factors, but still, um, and I also am aware of a number of restaurants that have gone out of business as a result of Corona. This seems sad to me. So, um, so I think it's very was yeah the, the interviews are very interesting to hear basically how different restaurants are adapting. Some seem to be more positive than others. Well, there, there's very much two sides of the coin. I think you said it very accurately. Is um, They've sort of taken a, an approach that applies to all restaurants, even though that is a bit of a, a strange way, because like like some restaurants, they've been adhering very strictly to some of the rules. And there's uh, even in, for example, the UK and Germany, there's a distinctions being made between restaurants serving food and restaurants just and, and bars, basically, to, to separate the two where most infections happen. Um, but the other side, the, the flip side of it is, is indeed like... Um, one, and that's also one thing I wanted to point out with this interview is you see that some restaurants have adapted in such a way that still makes them stand out against traditional takeout. Um, one thing that I that I um, failed to capture in the first interview, but she told me afterwards, is she said, well, um, also now uh, with most takeaway orders, we write a little special note, uh, a thank you card to the people who ordered and, and who support us and who still um, are, are basically are still sort of now are, are distant guests. And I think it's it's interesting to see how that some of those restaurants that have such a strong loyal base or that are so used to having certain people are still capable of providing that that personal service in one way or another despite only being able to do takeaway Hmm. well i think that's what's probably going to see them through i would imagine is their loyal um, client base Um, but we'll we'll see what happens i'm i'm hopeful that perhaps uh, in november time they will slightly lift the restrictions on at least perhaps on restaurants 
Yeah, I, I think they hope so too. I think many restaurants feel exactly the same way and they hope that, well, as, as soon as the restrictions get lifted, that uh, they'll be able to welcome people again. Um, and and we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, in this little hospitality segment, we'll keep you posted. We, we trust you for that, Tom. <laughs> I'm Tom. And I'm Zoe. And thank you for stalking with us this evening. Next week on Stalk Talks, we'll focus on peace and protest through the arts. And I think this is going to be a fun episode. Um, it will be our fifth week of focusing on this topic, which is both inspiring, but can also be quite difficult at times, just because of the the struggles that some people have um, and some countries are having to find peace. Um, but I think this time, Tom, we're going to be doing something a little different. Absolutely. And and for the hospitality segment, I can tell you right now, there is, of course, one specific thing that we're going to be focus on, focusing on, and that's, of course, Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dive into uh, some of the traditions and hopefully we'll also be able to showcase some what are the traditional Halloween hospitality related stories that are out there. Well, I think this is something that has grown a lot over the years. I know it didn't used to be that popular no, in many countries, yeah. but it has really blossomed. Yeah, originally very much like a traditional uh, um, American thing that has now sort of like moved to the West. Colonize the globe. Colonize the globe, exactly. Okay, so please remember to check our Instagram and Facebook pages uh, for more information on any aspect of this podcast and also for the uh, live Facebook broadcast that we did last night. Also, please remember just to get in touch via Facebook or Instagram if you have any questions or you'd like us to follow up on anything. And all that remains is to thank you for stalking with us this evening, especially after some of the new restrictions. Uh, please tune in again next week for more fun frolics and some interesting pieces of news right here in the city of peace and justice.